Hello, I'm Eric Devin, and welcome to the season's penultimate Get French Football News preview show. Joining me, as always, are Adam White and Nathan Staples. Here we look at French side's European exploits for the final time this season. Monaco lost 2-1 at Juventus, going out 4-1 in aggregate as Leonardo Jardim, with Nabil Dirar, a late absence through injury, opted for an experimental 3-4-1-2 formation. And, and by contrast, played a more conventional 4-2-3-1, but it wasn't enough as they lost 3-1 to Ajax to go out 5-4 on aggregate. That's all the news for now. Do be sure to follow us on Twitter at GFFN and to visit our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com. Uh, let's start with the events at the Juventus Stadium on Tuesday, gents. Uh, Nathan, there was quite the furore on Twitter as many debated Jardim's motivations in terms of personnel and tactical system before the match. Well, the result wasn't what Monaco needed to progress. Was the manager right to experiment for this match? Yes and no. Uh, I think the idea to try and do a, a 3-5-2, which um, I'm pretty sure he did earlier on, very early on this season as well, um, was an interesting one to try and match up both with Juventus, although we may never know if that was his initial intentions after Dirar obviously uh, didn't start. And the graphics for a lot of the things were from both Monaco and from the um, UEFA team sheets both showed uh, the usual 4-4-2s or, or uh, an adaption of that. But... I thought it was a good idea to do that, to try and use the best of Mondi and Sidibe in the sense of an attacking sense and get on the front foot in the start. And they did that in the first 20 minutes and really pressed high, created a couple of decent chances. But the problem is they don't, with this and against this Juventus side, is if you don't score within that first 20-minute segment where you maybe get them a little bit hurried, you maybe get them a little bit rushed, then you're always fighting an uphill battle against a team that just seems to suffocate games when they need to. And it's 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 a terrific thing to see, really, in all honesty, with with a club that size. And I've not seen a team in a long while play that sort of style where they, they are so dangerous in so many different areas of the field for, and in a sense that they're so great at defending. Well, they're also so clever on the counter and, and can sort of spring attacks from from almost anywhere, at least, anyway. As for personnel-wise, you do have to question why Fabinho didn't play at all, um, regardless of formation. He's the most versatile player that Monaco have got. Um, he's been terrific this season. He's probably, I would argue, their best player this season. Um, and even in a 3-5-2, he can play in midfield. He could play as the right wing back as maybe probably a better defensive option than Sadebe, as well as being a... Uh, probably, a, I would say, a more experienced person at this kind of occasion, at least, anyway, from, from a Monaco point of view. I, I just can't see the argument of why you wouldn't have played him. Jean Moutinho was okay, but and he's great at controlling a game, but he didn't have the best of games. He was very anonymous. Bakioko was a little bit wanting again. Um, the second time this has happened really against Juventus, where he, he's really struggled with the overwhelming amount of players from midfield and from attack, he's sort of been stuck in a middle and that he's not really found where he needed to be at the right times and he's he's been caught out a few times. So the reason not to pay Fabinho does strike me. And then the same with, although he's not 100% fit, why do you not risk Mendy if he's available for the bench as well? Um, it's good that he did start in the end and he did seem to tire quite uh, in the second half as a lot of the Monaco players did, but... I would have still started him anyway because he's so good and he can be so good and especially from crossing opportunities and the like. But at the same time, you think that a Juventus side is so strong in the air at that back three and they were all terrific again last night that 
it's a tough one. He needed to try something different when we mentioned this on Monday, that he needed to try and find a new way to, to beat this Juventus team, which no one's figured out. And unfortunately, it just wasn't right. But yeah, with, with, the, with the league practically tied up in the sense that one more win pretty much does it, I think he maybe should have risked some of the bigger players and a little bit more, and it still does scratch your head of why he didn't play Fabinho at all. But as soon as Juventus scored, the, the game was really over, unfortunately. Adam, what about you? Do you think I, – I advanced the theory on, on Twitter, and I, I stand by it, that I think Jardim, he may have been trying with, – with the initial 11, this is before Girard was, was injured, but I think he was rotating for the league. It wasn't necessarily to get uh, – to try something different against Juventus. I think he was simply trying to play a 4-4-2. He switched to the 3-5-2 when Girard went off. What do you think? What was he trying to do? And along with that, yeah, this was the Champions League semifinal – but it was still long odds. Is he right to do that? I, I know that one win in three matches doesn't seem that difficult for Monaco, but Lille, Rennes, and Saint-Étienne can all be tricky in their own way. For Yeah, that's, that's, that, is, that is true. I'm, first, personally, I think it's sort of the determining factor here is Fabinho's absence. I, I, when I first saw the team, the shape of the team at least, I, I, felt, I felt he was trying to sort of match events up a little bit. Um, and, and try and not necessarily beat them at their own game, but try and sort of plug the gaps that were sort of mined, if you like, in the, in the, first, in the first leg, especially from Danny Alvarez's point of view, who is fantastic again. So I don't know if that particularly works, but it felt like he was trying to sort of match them up man for man and go for a similar formation. Um, but the Fubini's absence is a very strange one because you would feel like if he was going to play his first choice team and if he was going you know, to take this game... As as, in, as importantly as he did the first leg, and even though they were two 0 down, you know, I, I still feel like he probably would have taken this game very seriously, and, and would have still seen it as an opportunity to go through that Fabinho would have played because he's he's the most important player, he's the best player in 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 these bigger games. You know, he's he's, he's that in midfield general. He really runs their their midfield and dominates midfield battles even when he's outnumbered. As we we talked a lot about on the pod, he's he's a very 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 good player. Twenty three, you know, he's got got a great career ahead of him. So I would have expected him. To, to play in, in this game, whether whether or not he switched formation. So that, to me, suggests that perhaps there's an element of him him being, you know, being a little cautious about the league. But then that would be an odd decision to make, given that if they win the game at the weekend against Lille, they've, they've practically won the title. They have, there'll be six points. Uh, sort of be, if they win that game in hand, which should get effectively is against Lille, they win ahead. They'll be six points ahead with two games to play with a much superior goal difference. So they only really need one more win. So you would feel like that the three games after, yes, they can be, that you're absolutely right, they can be difficult opponents, but you would have fancied them to get at least one win from those three games. So I would have thought that, although the margin was was difficult, it wasn't entirely unfeasible. We've seen, you know, much bigger comebacks this season and in the past too. So there was still a glimmer of hope for Monaco, even though Juventus are perhaps the type of team that they, they really struggled against. So it's a very strange decision, and the, the motivation behind it is very difficult to, to put your finger on. I, I think that's a very... It's a very odd, odd decision all round. I, I think, from my point of view, I'd like to have seen Monaco. The way you, the way Monaco win games is to be Monaco, and I know that they do need to find new, new ways to win games. And perhaps late next season, if they're going to be doing the same thing and fighting on these fronts, they're going to need to, you know, perhaps play badly and win, which they haven't really been doing. They've been playing very well and winning most of the games, which is, which is obviously brilliant. But they're going to need to find those new ways to win games. I just felt like it, it had a little bit. If they are taking this game seriously, it smacked a little bit of the Blanc three-five-two at Manchester City last year when they, they, he felt like he needed to try something, try something different. And uh, to, obviously to a lesser extent here, because there are perhaps a few caveats to that with the league and with the fact that Juventus play this formation anyway. 
but the blog speech of for PSG at Manchester City was completely suicidal, and it, it it was it was untried and untested, and something that the the players themselves weren't weren't like used to, or it didn't it doesn't really make sense for the for the for the team itself. Which, from my point of view, it didn't make sense for Monaco's team. So, um, it was it was an odd decision, and the motivation behind it would be very difficult to be a finger on. The absence of Lamar as well is very strange. You would have felt like if he was really you know prioritizing this game, Fabinho and Lamar, the two players you want, even in a three-five-two. Because they both, Lamar can play more centrally. You can have Fabinho holding holding that midfield. I would have thought Bakayoko and Martina would be the two to, to drop out. But um, so yeah, I, I have a feeling it's probably a little bit, as Mason says, a little bit mixture of uh, of the two. Um, so yeah, I, I hopefully that hopefully Monaco will recover from this, and hopefully that it won't be too much of a dent uh, on on their confidence, and they'll still still you know take the league title respect from too. But a very uh, interesting decision from Jardin. I'm not sure it was it was the right the right time to, to try and change train tactics. Yeah. I, I do want to make a, a very quick point, if that's all right, of something yeah. I might have, have, have tried um, in the sense that it was similar to the idea that he played against uh, Paris Saint-Germain earlier in the season against that in the uh, Stade Louis II. What I would have tried is I think the three-five-two was the right kind of idea, but with mm. the players they've got, I think they should have stuck with Fabinho and Bakayoko as a defensive two still in front of that back three. So it gives you a solid base to build from and two players that are used to playing together and working in that role. Still with the wing back, so Mondi and um, Sidibe, but obviously with Fabinho in there, it gives Sidibe more cover because obviously he can be caught. Well, he was, he was really enjoying his moment on the wing, I think, wasn't he, last night, to be fair. Um, but maybe take a striker out. The problem was that Falcao was so close to the strikers, uh, the defenders so often, and those defenders are so great at being in those in that three as a solid base and together maybe try and play Lamar and uh, Bernardo Silva as more central attacking midfielders similar to what they tried to do um against Paris Saint-Germain at that um in that game instead Louis do it and have Mbappe as the man up front on his own wandering around trying to find the spaces in behind those three so it, it sort of disrupts that defensive line a little bit more I thought it maybe something like that might have tried a bit different because when Bernardo Silva did find a little bit gaps of space he was the one who was finding a little bit of success so Moving those three out of position a little bit more might have been a more interesting and and possibly a more worthwhile tactic than the one he went for of just sort of matching up with him in the end. Hmm. So I think that's that's certainly something to consider as well. I mean, looking back at the eleven for that 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 PSG match, as you do mention, they won three one. Uh, it was uh, three at the back, Lex Jemerson and Raji as they played on Tuesday. But uh, Moutinho was played as sort of a number ten, where it was uh, and it was uh, five across midfield with both Bakayoko and Fabinho in, in the match. Uh, as your man started at this time, Mbappe wasn't even on the bench, but I think there is certainly some, something to be said for that. Uh, but I think that in this match, you have to wonder whether Jardim has too much of a reliance on using certain players. I think Falcao didn't have that impressive of a match for me. I, I think that with that back three not being creaky per se, I mean, their positioning is wonderful, but they're not the fastest. Uh, whether starting Germain along Mbappe might not have been a better idea. I know that might sound controversial given how impressive Falcao has been uh, both in the league and in the Champions League. But I think in terms of mobility, if you're, if you're still trying to chase, chase the match, um, you can always bring Falcao on and let him play the last half an hour, perhaps if, if Juventus are sitting a little bit deeper. But as long as they were getting forward on the flanks, I don't, th- I don't think that playing Germain would have been the worst idea. Again, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think that uh, it's going to be a very interesting summer for Monaco. Recent links have seen them uh, linked with Yuri Tielemans, 
uh, from Anderlecht, uh, and we've also seen links uh, with linking Timoe Bakayoko uh, out. Uh, so I wanted to ask each of you briefly, uh, who is the one player that Monaco can't afford to lose? Nathan, I'll start with you. I think we've already mentioned him, Fabinho. I think especially if they want to carry on playing the formation they want to play next season, uh, Fabinho. I think that the links at the moment are, for, are luckily for them not particularly focused on him, but his partner, Bakayoko, who's probably a little bit more raw, but also might fit into other teams better in the sense that he's got pretty much one role in, in any team of being sort of possibly a more breaker of play and then break from there, whereas Fabinho is more of a versatile player and I think more worthwhile. I, I wrote in the um, in the GFFM 100 earlier this season about Fabinho that I think he'd be perfect for Manchester City. I think he's absolutely built for that team. I think he can play right back if they need him to. I think he can play in defensive midfield if they needed to as a, as a better alternative to Fernandinho or next to him in bigger games, maybe to add a uh, solid uh, defensive base. I think that... Um, the versatility and the, the ability on the ball and his defensive instincts will be um, adored by someone like Pep. But they need to try their very best to try and keep him and try and find someone in this market to replace him. Because I, I like Tillmans, but he would fit better with Fabinho rather than Bakayoko, in my opinion, at least, as a, a slightly more adaptive uh, playmaker than the other two. Um, or even he might play in a number 10 role. I, I, if he does join, I, I'm not sure so far. But I think out of everyone, I think he's the one they have to keep. Yeah, I would have to agree. We, we did see Tillemans a couple of times uh, playing for Anderlecht against Santachana in the group stage of the Europa League. And I, I have to agree. I think he's better going forward uh, and, and wouldn't be an adequate replacement for, uh, for, for Fabinho were the Brazilian to leave. Uh, Adam, what about yourself? Yeah, I think I have to echo those uh, those sentiments, Nathan. I think Fabinho would be the most difficult player to replace because um, he's he's very not unique, but he's very unusual in, in his skill set and and the way that the way that he goes about his game and the fact that they play that four four two, it's very very easy to get to get overrun in midfield and him and between him and Bakayoko, but largely down to his mobility and his power and his strength and his ability to both drive play and drive forward. Um, uh, Monaco's attacks that he, he'd be very very difficult to replace and I think Tielemans would be would be good but I think actually Tielemans is perhaps a more more forward thinking player and I, I like Fabinho as the one next to, to Bakayoko perhaps and although they kind of they play very similar in, these, in terms of their position on the pitch perhaps I think Tielemans would be one who would like to play alongside someone who's a bit who's a bit deeper who could sit and he could which I think he's probably closer in sort of skill set in, in to Blaise Matuidi a little bit. And he has been insanely good this season for final. He's only got he's only twenty and he's he's already got a ridiculous amount of appearances. And I hear that uh, Leander Dendonka for for Anderlecht's very good who's who plays defensive midfield and he's possibly outperformed Tielemans this season as well at Anderlecht. So it's a very good some good, good options. Maybe Monaco are looking at him as well. I don't know. But um I think Tielemans would be a good signing but I think perhaps in a different style of team, perhaps. I, I think he's a, he's a good fit for Monaco is in terms of their the style of play and the way that their team sort of holds together. He's, he's, he's a Monaco-type player, if you like, but perhaps a slightly different tweak in, the, in that formation. But Fabinho, for me, would be the one they couldn't really replace. It'd be very, very difficult. All right. So I think that would wrap our Monaco discussion for the moment. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how they do shape up this season, uh, or this off-season. Uh, turning briefly to Leon versus Ajax, um, really a thrilling game. Uh, Leon had gone down a goal nil, one one goal earlier. 
Uh, they got a penalty, which Lacazette converted. Lacazette scored again, then from open play. Uh, then about 15 minutes of time, uh, Rashid Gazal, who would come on, turns into the back post from um, from Ashid Ribas with a with a with a decent cross. Uh, Leon pressed for the the equalizer, take it, or the fourth goal to take it extra time. They can't quite get it. Um, I was pleased with Leon's play, um, but I I do sort of question uh, leaving themselves so open so early in the game. Uh, my issue would be with Bruno Genesio deciding to start Fakir uh, as a central playmaker. I do know that he had uh, he had a good assist for Lacazette for the second goal, but I also think that he was often too selfish with the ball at his feet. Um, I don't know whether he sees himself as, an, as a number 10. I think he sees himself as more of a striker. And with bearing that in mind, I think he ends up tending to take shots when a pass might be the better option oftentimes. He is fantastic at drawing free kicks. He was on the evening and has been most of the season. But I just think that since his injury, he's lost a little bit of pace and he's not quite as crafty and doesn't have quite as much vision uh, as he does. And also playing off a lone striker as opposed to Lacazette and another striker as we had seen when uh, Fakir had that breakout season two years ago. I also think that he's not afforded quite as much space. Uh, playing behind, it was Lacazette and Clinton Angie at the time. Uh, Angie's pace and Lacazette's movement often gave Fakir quite a bit more space. He doesn't have that playing in a 4 2 3 1. I was a little disappointed with Genesio tactically. I also thought that that it made Toliso sit a little bit more deep. If you want to move to a 4 2 3 1 with Toliso as part of that two later in the match, if you're, if you're chasing it, you've got it and you're in good position at that point, great. Uh, but I think starting with that wasn't a very responsible choice. I think it, I think that they should have opted for a 4 2 3 1. Toliso played off Lacazette. Um, you know, again, you know, Toliso being a, an option, making late runs into the box, uh, e either to, to be an aerial threat or or to play the ball on the ground, uh, I, I think is a better option. He's decent with the ball at his feet as well, and knowing that he's not as much of a as someone willing to take a shot, he's also willing to try and involve his teammates a little bit more, cutting inside, be that Balbuena or be that Cornet. So a little bit frustrating with with Leon tactically, but still, it was good to see this team uh, not give up and 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 put in a good fight. Um, Eric, I, I just wanted to add in. Um, what did you think when you saw the team sheet and saw Nkulu and and uh, Dear Carbates partnering each other again? Were you a bit on edge, thinking that, um, that there, really, it might there weren't options? You? Um, yep, Yanga and Biwa is, isn't fit, and I don't think Mamane is either, considering he didn't make the eighteen. So I, yeah, gave I you a mild panic. <laughs> yeah, it did. They were all right. I mean, I don't, I don't. I don't think that they were as awful as they were last time. Uh, I think the Akabi in particular looked, looked good getting forward. He was given quite a bit of space, uh, particularly later in the game, to get forward with the ball at his feet. Neither of them really have the range of passing that Mana does, and that's, I think that's what's missing with the Argentines not in the team. Um, but yeah, it frustrating. And that's, that's the thing. From the start, it was frustrating. You can see that goal because, obviously, as Leon showed, they have the firepower to score three goals, which would have seen them through and away goals. But having conceded that one, it made the task just that much more difficult. So a somewhat frustrating evening, but I, th I think a, a good send-off uh, for Lacazette and Toliso, if indeed that is their last European match uh, in the Parco Well, as many seem to think it is. Just um, uh, a bit, being a bit too gung-ho with that 11 from Genesio from the start. I also might have questioned starting Rafael ahead of Jale. I think that there was a, a lot of uh, Ajax's good play was coming from Eunice and coming from ZH on that, on that left side of Ajax's attack. I don't think that Rafael did as much as perhaps could have been to, to cope with them. Uh, the quality of balls from both CHN 
and Nunes could have been better on the evening. Um, but we and we had seen in the first leg, uh, Zh and Nunes are both have good good range of passing, but they didn't have it on this on this night. And I think that Lena could have been made to pay been made to pay more heavily uh, had those two been a little bit more on the ball. Uh, all in all, though, uh, you know, a decent season for Leon in Europe. I, I think that going out to Juventus and Sevilla and giving a good account of themselves in most of those matches, say perhaps the loss at Sevilla, I think that there's no shame in that. Uh, and getting by Roma in particular in the Europa League, I think, makes this a fairly satisfying campaign for, for Leon, even if um, the manner of their exit was a little bit frustrating. Um, anything to add on Leon's season, Leon's... Leon's, uh, Leon's European campaign for other few gents? Uh, Genesio out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that, I think. All right. I think that sums up perfectly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So moving on now to our predictions game. Uh, we haven't had an update on this in a while, but Adam has crept closer. He is now on 75 points to my 79. Nathan, due in part to his vacation, we'll give him a break for that, uh, lingers back at 62. Um, we get double points from now on, is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have four matches to preview this week. Uh, again, the prediction scores are three points for correct score, one point for a correct result. Um, and we're going to have a, a focus not so much on the bigger teams this week as we often do, uh, but because you know the, the top six seems fairly set, there's still a bit of a denouement in terms of whether Bordeaux or Marseille will get fifth, uh, but provided PSG win the Coupe de France, both those teams will go in, uh, I believe, at the same stage in the Europa League, the third qualifying round. Uh, so yes. There's not really much of a difference there between those between those two. So let's start then, keeping in mind that relegation is really what uh, the focus will be on over the next two weekends, uh, with uh, Bastia, quote-unquote, hosting uh, Lorient. Uh, Adam, we've seen from the club that Sylvain Marvo is out for the season. Benjamin McConjo will miss this match. Now, those two are somewhat erratic, but I think we can safely say that they've been Leon's two most important attacking players this season. Is this too much to overcome? And sh and with that in mind, should Lorient play for more of a draw, or is that too risky given that Dijon and Nasi are playing each other? It's, it's going to be very, very difficult. I think one person I would definitely add to that that list of Lorient's most attacking players is, is Waris Majid. I know he has his goal record being poor, but... Um, he's been he's been really good in the last last few weeks. He's played with intensity and he's he's you know made created chances. He's been a good foil for Makanjo. So I think often when Makanjo misses out as well, he, he his performances do increase and he gets into that central role more. And he's he's not probably not as good a finisher as Makanjo, but um, he, he still is a you know he can be a competent finisher. So I think he he might flourish in that sort of added space if, if Makanjo's a. Uh, out this week, so I think it's not all us in terms of attacking the attacking uh, attacking third for for, Lor uh, for Lorient, and hopefully Jimmy Cabo can recreate his form of a couple of weeks ago where he was absolutely brilliant against Mets when he won five one, and the Lorient fans were singing Jimmy's on fire, which was uh, which is which was wonderful. So they they still got options there. It's gonna be it's gonna be difficult to to assess how they might set up here because. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, with 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 the other games going on, it's going to be it's going to be very difficult for them to 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 know what to do obviously because they're all ten all ten games going on at, at once. Um, but I think they've they've done so well to get themselves into this position, and I I think they've got although their results have sort of dipped a little bit. I think they've got a little bit more momentum than perhaps than perhaps the other teams around them. And although a draw here would be relatively sufficient you know you've got if you, they're two points ahead of Dijon even they did get the draw against Bastia 
you know, no one's really going to overtake them unless Dijon won and they've got a slightly better goal difference. But they, but you know, it wouldn't be disastrous by any means. But I, from their point of view, I think they still have to play um, the same way they have been playing. They still have to attack. They still have to, you know, utilize. Filipato has been in good form. Cabo, I imagine, will play now as well. Warrington, they've still got some good attacking players. So I think they should they should keep playing the game and they should. To play for a draw would be would be too would be too risky as as you mentioned I think because losing the game would be would 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 be you know make make their position a little bit more difficult so I think they have to they have to you know be confident and, and, and stay the course if you like because I think that they've still got they're still you know they're still favourites for this game I, I expect them to to take three points in this game if they if they play the way they have been playing so I hopefully they won't they won't shut up shop and play for a draw because I think that's asking for trouble so um, still still hope for Lorient I think that they've done enough but I think they will do enough to stay out as well so. Um, Keep them in, keep them in league, and enough, at least, enough at least to keep them in league in for for next season. All right, your prediction then? I'm going to say two one Lorient. Okay, uh, Nathan. Um, I'm going to go for two nil Lorient, and about three Bastia players to get sent off as they realise their fate <laughs> sealed. <All right. laughs> I go with a one one draw. Uh, decent result for Lorient, but not enough to see, quite see them safe yet. Uh, do want to turn our attention now to the. the the high stakes match at the top of the table this week, or top of the table, near the top of the table, uh, and that is Bordeaux hosting Marseille. Uh, Nathan, Bordeaux will be without their two starting center backs this suspension. Nicolas Palois, who uh, is going to be suspended for the rest of the season, no surprise, after that tackle on Nordin last weekend. Uh, but the, And they're also missing Igor Lezcek for an accumulation of bookings. So my question here then is, who should start at center backs? Jovanovic, the St. Petersburg loanee, looks likely to start. But he, there's really two options for Grovenek to partner um, the youngster, and that's Teo Pelinar, who's generally a left back and is a little bit undersized, but has played center back on a couple of, a couple of times earlier in the season. Or Jeremy Toulon, who has played that role uh, both with Leon and with uh, Bordeaux in the recent past. Mm, it's a it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you, as you say, there you're picking between two options that aren't natural center backs, but both of them have played that role. I mean. It's a shame that Nicola Powell just seems to like a break every so often, I think, doesn't he? He had that big suspension last year after um, having a bit of a tussle with a, an official against Wren. So he had about a seven-game layoff there, and now he's ending his season nice and early so he can get on his uh, jollies nice and early. But um, in this one, when you're comparing the two, Pelinar, like you say, is, is a little bit undersized, he's, and he is naturally a left-back, but he is has got a little bit of speed about him. So if they were playing maybe a faster attacker, maybe if they were, say, against a Leon or something like that, where Lacazette will be up front, I think he'd be the preferred option. But with someone like Bafatimbi Gomis predominantly being the one that they're worried about, at least at centre-back, I would start someone with it. And combined with his experience, I think Toulon's probably the better option in this kind of game where if they win, that practically seals European football, or at least automatic uh, qualification to the Europa League pretty much it will be sealed at least. Um, I think he's, with that experience, yes, he's not a natural centre-back, but he is a more of a central defensive midfielder, you would say, throughout his career. And he has played centre-back a number of times, both for Monaco when he was there and, and both for Bordeaux this season as well. So I think he's more of a natural fit. He's more up for the battle probably against Gomis because he's more of a physical presence and has also got the ability to play play out from the back as well a little bit better um, with his passing range and bits like that. And I, I've always really liked Toulon as a, as a player and I think he's probably their best option, really. I think Pelinar against someone like Gomis might be a bit bullied and that would be a real worry because if 
if Marseille get him running and rearing to go with the wingers that they've got in form and, and their ability to get so many assists. I mean, Morgan Sanson's had 12 assists this season, which is really, really great for him. Um, then you start to get worried that he might be, be a target and be someone that they bully upon and, and really pull out of the game. But it's not an ideal situation full stop for Bordeaux. They should be, they should really have power. And with Jovanovic, it's not as bad, but Toulon is the best of, of two, not, ideal options but I, I don't think either really help Bordeaux come out really smelling of roses in this one yeah of course using two low line in central defense does create the knock-on problem of who gets used in, in, in defensive midfield Placio or Sankare will probably take that role um, with um, the other one of them playing alongside Vada in central midfield but of course again two lines tackling range of passing would be direly missed uh, Adam Sticking with Bordeaux, then, if this team do get to European football, uh, as, as they're likely to do, where do they need to strengthen in, in the summer for you? It looks like Benoit Costil is going to come in at goalkeeper. That's been the hot rumor. Uh, but it seems to me that central midfield and defensive midfield uh, would be the, the problematic areas given the ages of Toulon and Placio. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on whether they have some decent players coming from their academies, the Mauro Ambari, Zaidu Youssef, a player we've seen this seen earlier this season, Daniel Mancini. Um, and also, uh, the player, the the sort of the elephant in the room is Enzo Crivelli. Uh, this player's had a good, if somewhat injury hit season on loan at Bastia, scoring a decent amount of goals for a side that's really pretty poor in attack. Um, so, it, along with that midfield question, how do you see Bordeaux able to incorporate Crivelli into the attack uh, next season if they do indeed decide to keep him? Yeah, first of all, I, I really hope they do keep Enzo Cavalli. I, I was a little bit surprised they loaned him out uh, last summer. I felt like he was um, sort of breaking into the team a little bit more and he, he was looking like a little, little bit sharper in front of goal. He's definitely very, um, very strong and very powerful and really holds up the play really well and plays other people in. Um, hasn't got much pace, but I think he's the type of player that would suit their they're kind of their four-three-three that they're they're playing at the moment. Laborde is a very as a similar-ish kind of profile. He's a little bit more mobile, perhaps, but I think Cavalli would would suit the, the the players around him, and he'd be able to sort of bring Malcolm and Kamano and Unas and those those kind of players into play quite a lot. Um, and those players thrive off that sort of that opportunity to run beyond the forward and and get a shot away or, or beat a man. And so I think he would suit the the team. But in terms of where they need to strengthen. I think, given how Bordeaux adapted to the Europa League under Sagnol, uh, what last season now, which was absolutely terribly, um, obviously there are caveats to that, one being that they had a ludicrous amount of injuries, the same way Sinetian did this season, um, and that they, they, their young squad, as it was then, although, <coughs> excuse me, although they've obviously signed two Alon and Ben is a bit more experienced now, the young squad really struggled to handle the, the, really, the really difficult schedule, so they definitely need depth, and I think there are a number of areas where they 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 hope to strengthen. Um, I think Ivanovic is on loan, so he'll go back to Zenit Zenit and Petersburg, and I think he's pretty likely to do that. So I imagine they'll need another centre back um, to to come in and support there because I don't know if Pernar's <clears throat> really ready for to be thrown in um, too often. I think he's probably better at left back, as you mentioned. He's a little bit slight. Uh, I don't know if centre back necessarily suits him, and whether he'd, he'd be suited to the Europa League either. Um, and has, he hasn't really played too much since February either. So I think. Although he, had a, he was, he looked good in his sort of decent, his sort of little run in the team. But <clears throat> I think to have him as their only third choice centre back, that'd be difficult. So I think that would be one area they need to strengthen. I can imagine a number of fullbacks leaving. I think Kunje will leave. I think he's a decent enough player. He would have been a good 
a good foil there as well. So they've got a few areas to, to plug in in defence. You're absolutely right with the, with the midfield, though. They've got four midfielders. <clears throat> Aaron Burry's... I'm not a huge fan of Aaron Burry, to be honest. Obviously, he's 21. He's come over from, from South America, and he's got a, a long way to go. But he sort of started off in the team last, last Christmas and, and, and slowly faded out and ended up playing mostly to the CFR team, which is fine because you know, he needs to develop as a footballer. But the brief, admittedly very brief moments he's had since any sort of play started twice in the last sort of six months or so. Off the bench three times, was dragged off at half time in the in the cup game game when Lorient visited. So I, I don't know that he's someone that'll be ready to, to, to fill in those gaps, especially given Toulon and Vassal are 33 and 35 respectively. You'd hope that they'd be looking to add players in that position. And without Toulon, I, I think I like him at centre back. I think I prefer him to. Ivanovic there. <clears throat> the reason it doesn't happen too much is because they haven't really got another natural defensive field player apart from Aaron Bari. Plasso, Sankari, Vada, none of them are really, just because it's never really wholly suited that position. They're much suited more suited to more central attacking midfield roles. So I think they're going to need another defensive midfielder, one that they can rely on in, 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 in Liga and at least. Um, so I think that's another area they need to strengthen. I'd honestly like to see another, another central midfielder come in. They need depth in that area because it's going to be the hardest area to sort of rotate over that busy schedule. Daniel Mancini is an interesting one you mentioned in there. Um, he sort of dropped out the team at New Year's Old Boys as well before, but I know Vada has said, Fountain Vada said a couple of times he thinks he's a very, very good player, but he hasn't played at all since joining from from from, from Argentina. So he's a little bit of an unknown quantity. 20, 20, only 20 years old, he may be in a very similar position to Aaron Barrio, maybe a little while before he breaks into the team the same way that, that Vada did. So they definitely need strength in there. I imagine Menes will leave this summer. I imagine um, Roland will leave too, actually. So I think those two players will need direct replacements as well. So a busy <laughs> a busy summer for Bordeaux. I think there'll be a, a fairly significant overhaul of, well, a turnover at least of players in, in their squad. And, um, but I imagine they'll keep most of their, their premier players. You imagine Malcolm would stay, uh, Toulon will stay, Powell will stay. I like that Karras is being replaced. I think he's, 30, although he's 35, I've got to keep stuck too old. He's never been particularly athletic and it's always come back to bite him. So Costa's a much better option there. Um, so I think as long as they keep that core of the players who've done well for them, as I mentioned there, Sankari can be included there, Vado can be included as well. I imagine those players will, will, will stay in the club. So that, that's positive, but they will need to strengthen and have a lot of depth next season if they're going to get anywhere near repeating their league form this season but with the Europa League on top because they did. They really struggled two seasons ago. Yeah, I mean that was a tough group to be fair with Liverpool and, and Sion. Yeah. I think punched above their weight as well in that group. But I, I think that yeah, point taken. That it's, it is. It can be a very crucial su- summer for this team. A lot of really intriguing young talent, but uh, how they add to and, and replace some of those players if they do go. Francois Camino is another player who's been hot linked with the move away, uh, perhaps to, to even to Monaco. Uh, but certainly a lot of. Uh, pressure on that team to keep their improvement up. So, score-wise, Nathan, how do you see this shaking out? I'm going to go with 1-0 Marseille. I'll go with a 2-1 Bordeaux win. Uh, I think we're playing a lot of averages and perhaps Marseille aren't due for a good match this week. Uh, Adam, for yourself? Two each for me. I think it's going to be a good game. All right. I think that's probably the one that I'll pick out to watch uh, Sunday evening. Uh, so two more matches to take a look at, and I want to start, Nathan, with uh, Khan hosting Ren. Fre- Frederick Gilbert is back in training and should be fit to play on the right. Um, his energy and his work rate have really made the difference oftentimes for Khan this season in, in being able to play with those two wingbacks, uh, even if he's not quite as attack-minded as Vincent Bessard on the opposite flank. Um, with that in mind, is 
he's someone that Cone pushed to get back fit for this game. Uh, and how do they approach it? Uh, a win is makes safety mathematical, uh, but they've got PSG on, on the final match day. And I don't know whether PSG will be uh, on the quote-unquote beach. I know they've got that Coupe de France final left to play. The league might not be as much of a happy focus for them. Uh, kind of can't really take any chances here, can they? Not really, no. But at the same time, this is a great game for them to possibly get that win that sees them safe because, as we mentioned with Rich on Thursday, that... This Ren team is oh, sorry on Monday that this this Ren team is uh, dead and buried really and not really creating anything. While you shouldn't take that for granted, that should also be seen as a great opportunity. And, and you're right, I think having someone like Gilbert back and and ready as long as he's fully fit will really help because getting those wing backs and getting balls into the box for Ivan Santini, who's been so crucial as we mentioned back on Monday for Con this season for scoring goals and, and getting goals in those box from heads or, or from little flick-ons. He's been really great at that. So getting that ball in there and using the width and having the best width you can get is really important to this team. And yeah, I, I, I think they should really go with this gun how especially with the first 20, 25 minutes you're at home, you're against a team that has nothing to play for and has been really dreadful at times this season and has struggled to score goals back at you. So you, you know if you grab a goal in this game, that this could quite easily get away from Ren very quickly. Um, I think that Con, also the side, especially at home, that tend to rise to the occasion at the moment. As they've done really well against the big teams, especially at home, and they should really see this as an opportunity to make sure they're safe. I mean, a point will probably just about do it, at least for automatic relegation, probably. I know they're playing PSG on the last day, which could be it could be ideal because PSG might be on the bay, on the beach or preparing for a cup final, so resting. But at the same time, that is <laughs> the amount of talent you can bring off the PSG bench is probably the stuff of Khan's dreams. So you can't take that for granted. They've also been pretty poor away from home. But I would take it to this to, uh, to Ren. I would, especially for that first half, really, really, really go for it because... They've got nothing to well, they've got everything to lose, but at the same time, they have to see results from elsewhere go really against them. I mean, they would need like they would need Bastia to win, they'd need Dijon to win, to uh, sorry, Nancy to win to really pull them at least into the automatic relegation zone. So, so go for it. Why not? I, I mean. I can't see the argument of why you would sort of maybe allow a Ren team that have been so average this season to allow them into a game like this where you risk allowing them to score and then then you're playing from behind and you're starting to panic so go for it i, I think playing the negative style is only gonna or to play for a draw per se is, is just gonna bite them back again i think yeah, of course con can can do have the a very poor goal difference and can't uh, risk that coming into play they do need to be sure of this they have the worst goal difference in the league at present at minus 28 uh worse than even bastia and mossy so i i tend to have to agree with that there you, you need to go for it and, and see what see what may come with that in mind uh, i'm gonna go with a 2-1 con win I, I do think they have what it takes i think that they were missing flying red line last week and still got a, a good win um adam what about yourself yeah i think i think connor i'll take this one I, i'd go one nil Okay. Uh, anything? Yeah, I'm. I'm. Go I'm going to go two nil, Cole. All right. It's it's hard to not predict a win. It's true. 
Uh, sorry, Rich, if you're listening. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> Ren don't seem to have too much to play for uh, in this example. So finally, uh, our big relegation derby, and that is Dijon hosting Nasi. Uh, Adam, a loss for Nasi would likely see them gone here uh, in terms of not making, not having a chance to make that uh, playoff spot at the very least. Can they afford to play for a draw, or must Pablo Correa's side go all out? And along with that, how do they approach the matchup? That is their overarching strategy. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's, it's squeaky bum time, I think, for for, for Nancy, isn't it? Um, I, it's it's going to be very, very difficult for them to, to start with Sinetien on the last day of the season. They're, what, a point adrift of Dijon as it stands, three points of Lorient in 17th. Um, obviously, I think lose this game and they're done, as you said, unless Lorient lose uh, as well. They, 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 there's a chance they could win and Lorient lose on the final day, which would have to level on points. So there is, there's that possibility too. But um, Dijon have a far superior goal difference. So you'd imagine that if Dijon win this win this game, that they, they you know, put themselves in a, in a very good position. For Nancy, they did rest Isa Dia last week, who's, for me, by far their best player, far most creative attacking player, their top scorer. Um, and even though it was against it was against Monaco, they decided that I think Correa decided perhaps that the, this game was the one that that would really you know was the most likely source of points between now and the end of the season with Sinetti on the final day. I know that Sinetti and pretty much out of the Europa League or almost entirely out of the Europa League chase. They they might be there for the taking on, on in that last game, so there's a little bit more more hope there. But I think he's definitely prioritised this game. I think they really do have to have to. They really do have to go for it. I, I think a draw would be would be damage limitation, but coming into the final day of the season, I mean, um, Dijon, I think, go to Toulouse, and, and obviously there's that visit of Sinetti and Fenonci, so with Toulouse on the beach a little bit, Depraz has done his best to shake things up, but I don't think it's working particularly well. And so I, I would think that, you know, that's a, that's a winnable game for, for Dijon as well. So there's, there's a lot of variables that they had to consider, and I think a win here would be massive, and if they could get it, then they'd be in the driving driving seat to stay out. But obviously, going to Dijon is very difficult. Dijon is decent enough at home. Um, they're also they can also on their day be relatively attacking. So I, I I think that they have to try and go punch punch here and 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 try and try and get the three points because anything else would put them in a in a very very difficult position and or, or honestly call their league and say seems to question a week early. It would be very very difficult to see them stay out because I think with that that fact that. That, uh, that Dijon have a much easier final final day of the year. You, you'd expect them to take some points from that to lose game. So I think a win here is not not 100% crucial, but it would be pivotal if they could take it. Absolutely huge. And the, but with Correa, the, the problem is they just don't they just can't score goals. We mentioned it on 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 the pod a lot this season. This amount of strikers they've tried. Hadji's been terrible all season. Darley's been probably the best of a bad bunch, but he wasn't played last week after starting the last four. So maybe he'll come back in. He's looked okay in the last few games, but it's just going to be getting those goals. And I think with Diony and Tavares up front for, for Dijon, you have to have them as favourites for this game and being at home as well. But Nancy, for me, have pretty much nothing to lose, and I'd like to see them like to see them attack and, and go for the three points because without them, I think they'll be relegated. Do you think, I know this player we've mentioned a couple of times, Alexis Boussin's worth taking a shot at in this match? Yeah, I, I, think, he's, I think he's good. He, he's only actually started one game since returning from Clermont on loan. Um, but he came off the bench in four successive games tonight. We seem to have been crashing one off the bar and then hitting the post against PSG. Um, I think he's, I think he's good, and I'm surprised that he the last four, six games, five, six games now, he hasn't even made the squad. So I, I, I'm not sure what's going on there. But he, I thought he did enough to impress over those those sort of cameo appearances and that that's that 90 minutes against against it was against Gangon. 
uh, which had a man sent off really early on anyway, so he wasn't really expected to do too much after after that playing as a striker. So I, I think he should start. Uh, he would be my pick, but the career does obviously hasn't seen enough, and and it, he's sort of stuck with his more sort of tried and tested strikers, although they haven't really produced any results. So I would have thought that he would have got more games, but maybe maybe we'll see him on the bench uh, at the weekend, and he can have some effect off the bench again. Yeah, I would hope so. I think that he certainly has looked. Bright enough. What would be your score prediction for this, Adam? Uh, I think Dijon are going to win 2-1, unfortunately, for Nancy. Okay. Uh, Nathan? Uh, I'm going for a, a Dioni hat-trick to send Nancy down 3-1. All right. I'll go with a 1-1 draw here. A less than ideal result for Nancy. Uh, that is all for now. Do be sure to tune in Monday and to visit our website, www.getfootballnewsfrance.com. Uh, and to rate and review us on iTunes if that is the platform through which you listen to. Uh, for Nathan Staples and Adam White, I've been Eric Devin. Until next Thursday, that will be our final show of, of the season next Thursday. Until then, have a pleasant rest of your week.